Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our first reading this morning can be found on page 1078 of the Church Bibles. We'll be reading from John's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 17 to 44. That's page 1078, John, chapter 11, starting at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But, Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, 
Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Our second reading can be found on page 118. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Page 118. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Ian, thank you very much indeed. Do keep your Bibles open to that passage and uh, let me pray for us as we uh, turn to think about it this morning. Encourage each other with these words. Heavenly Father, we pray that these words would indeed be a very deep and wonderful encouragement and comfort to us, not only this morning, uh, but uh, through the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It almost goes without saying, there is uh, nothing more devastating than the death of a loved one. Indeed, it is death that makes this day, this this Mothering Sunday, so very hard for so many, for those who've lost a mum or for mums whose children have died. Today reminds them of what they don't have anymore. Today is not an easy day for many. And death is agony. It's always terrible, but the agony is compounded when we're not clear about what happens beyond the grave. You see, when it comes to death, ignorance is not bliss. It is deeply distressing. Now that was certainly true for the Christians in first century Thessalonica. They knew the pain of death and it was made worse by them not knowing what had happened to the ones they loved. Of uh, being ignorant about where they had gone once they had died. Look at verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Now don't misunderstand the issue here. The struggle that the Thessalonians had didn't come about because they were unsure whether their loved ones were Christians or not. Uh, So leaving them without any assurance of their eternal destiny, that kind of not knowing, that kind of ignorance about a precious one leaves us in great turmoil for sure. But that's not the issue here. As we read these verses, it seems the loved ones that they mourned were definitely Christians But because the Thessalonians weren't clear about what happened beyond the grave, they didn't enjoy the comfort that the Christian gospel should have brought them. 
And so Paul writes to encourage them. That's how the chapter ends, verse 18. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. These words should leave us deeply encouraged about our Christian loved ones who've died. John Stott writes, the purpose of this passage is to fortify Christians in their bereavement, not answer academic questions about the last things. Do you see, ignorance not knowing will not help us in bereavement. So Paul gives us details here so that we know what happens when Christians die. Not to get us debating about every minute detail of the final return of Christ, but so that we'll be deeply comforted when we are bereaved. So verse 13, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now again, please don't mishear this. There's not even a hint of suggestion here that Christians shouldn't grieve. Of course we grieve. Death is a terrible thing. I'm always struck every time I I think of that reading that Ian uh, read for us, the first of the readings, John chapter 11. Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus has the answer to the problem of death. Yet as Jesus stood outside the tomb, twice we read that he was deeply moved. He had that sickening pain in the stomach that... Those of us who've been bereaved know only too well. Jesus felt that gut-churning heartache and he wept at Lazarus' grave. Now you see, that is a surprise. Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the grave so I'd have expected him to say, don't mourn, look what I'm about to do. But no, face to face with death, the one who is the resurrection and the life feels it acutely because death is terrible. Because it never feels right. Death only exists because we live in a fallen world. There's nothing good about it. So whenever we encounter death, we should mourn. And all the more when it's someone we love. And that needs to be said because over the years I've met some Christians who try to be more spiritual than Jesus on this. Some Christians have said to me, I know they've gone to a better place so I'm not sad. I refuse to mourn. Look, that is sub-Christian. Death simply is terrible. It separates us from loved ones. We really should grieve, but, verse 13, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve, but not hopeless grief. And the difference is tangible. At uh, some uh, crematoriums, uh, the service is relayed to the clergy vestry. So I've sat waiting in the vestry to take the funeral that is to come and listened to the funeral before. And so on a couple of occasions, I've listened into humanist funerals. And let me tell you, they are bleak. There is absolutely no hope, not a whiff of it. Sadly, I've taken many funerals of people who have no Christian faith. And again, there is no hope, just heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, overwhelming grief. Christian funerals are so different. Still grief. The death of a loved one is awful. So yes, there's still grief, but the hope of the gospel is wonderful. For the Christian, death is not the end. So verse 13, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. And of course, the word hope there is much stronger than we tend to use it today. Uh, The way we use it today uh, is uh, usually a kind of vague wish. So I hope it will be warm tomorrow. 
I've spent most of my life hoping it will be warm tomorrow, and most of my life I've been disappointed. My hope is rarely realized, so hope is a vague wish. That's not how the Bible uses the word hope at all. Christian hope is certain. It's only hope because it is something that's yet to come, but it is certain, and biblical hope is certain because it's based on something certain. Look at verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. Our hope in death, our hope of resurrection life is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died and rose again. Now look, if you're not certain about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, let me encourage you to look into the evidence for it. Now is not the time for me to go through it all. Indeed, I wouldn't have time to go through it all. But pick up a copy of this book, The Case for Easter by Lee Strobel. It helpfully lays out the evidence for uh, Jesus' resurrection. And as you read it, uh, you'll see that you don't need to suspend your critical faculties in order to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is crucial because being sure of Jesus' resurrection is the basis for our confidence of resurrection life. That's how verse 14 goes. You see, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. Uh, Someone described it to me like this, and I often say this when I'm taking a funeral. It's like a needle and a thread. Everywhere the needle goes, the thread follows. So if we are connected to Jesus, if we are in Christ, everywhere Jesus goes, we go too. So verse 14, Jesus died But he rose again. And so, yes, we die, but we will rise again. There's our hope. Christian hope based on something certain, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We can be sure of resurrection life, and for that reason, death for the Christian is like sleep. That's the word Paul uses right through this passage. He says it in verse 13, verse 14, verse 15, those who are asleep. Now look, very often in our culture we try to avoid the word death because we find death so hard. We have no answer to the problem of death so we avoid talking about the subject and then when we are confronted, when when it's face to face with us, we avoid the word death. So we talk about losing a loved one or them passing away. Now look, be sure that is not what Paul is doing here. Paul quite deliberately uses the word sleep not because he wants to avoid the word death but because for the Christian, death is like falling asleep. Remember the incident in Mark chapter 5 when Jairus' daughter had died. Jesus arrived at Jairus' home to find that the way could be done. As was the custom then, people were outside wailing, loud wails of grief. They were sure that the little 12-year-old girl was dead. And yet with all the grief, all the commotion going on, Jesus said, the child is not dead but asleep. And then he went into the, womb, into the room where the girl was laid out and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl get up. And immediately the little girl got up. And the message is clear. It's as easy for Jesus to raise someone from the dead as it is for you and me to rouse someone from sleep. For the Christian, closing our eyes in death is like closing our eyes in bed at night. In fact, uh, the word cemetery is derived from the Greek word for sleeping place. Christians who die have 
fallen asleep. It's not the end. But when we're confronted by death, it doesn't look like it. See, on a number of occasions, I've sat with someone just moments after their loved one has died. And when the person who's just died was a Christian, and as I sit with their grieving relative, very often they talk about the relief that their loved one is no longer in pain. They talk about the hope of heaven. They talk about knowing that they're in a better place now. And it's entirely right that they speak like that at that moment. But we're in a room and the deceased is there next to us, lying there. And it doesn't look like it. The body is right there, lifeless still. What we see and what we believe doesn't seem to match up. That's how it was for the Thessalonians. It's very likely that their misunderstanding was bound up with their expectation that Jesus would return in their lifetime. Right through this book, we see that the return of Jesus features very, very highly. I've pointed this out. At the end of every chapter, the return of Jesus Christ is mentioned. And so the Thessalonians had been taught that Jesus would come back to wrap up history as we know it. Uh, It was something that the Thessalonians looked forward to. Uh, So back in chapter 1 and verse 10, their Christian commitment was defined in part by them waiting for God's Son from heaven, waiting for Jesus' return. Now, that's how we should be, but I doubt many of us would define ourselves like that, but that's how they define themselves. Paul had taught them that no one knows when that will happen, that return of Christ will come. That is clear in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We'll look at that next week. So Paul had taught them that that no one knows when Jesus will return. But it seems likely that the Thessalonians still expected Jesus to return within their lifetime. So they eagerly waited for Jesus to return, uh, uh, to be with him forever. But while they waited, some had died. And they'd sat there in the room. And they wondered what had happened to their loved ones. And so the question came to them, what about those who've died before Christ returns? What happens to them? Because it doesn't look as if they're just asleep. They sat at their bedside of their loved ones and they were worried about them. And that's why Paul explains the order of things here. First, he says, verse 15, those of us who are left, that is, those who are still living, will not precede those who've died. His point is simple. Those who've died as Christians won't miss out. They're not at a disadvantage. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left with uh, we'll, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. You see, at the return of Christ, the dead in Christ will rise first. They won't have missed out. That's what he's saying over and over. And then all who are still alive with Christ, when Christ returns, will be caught up in the resurrection and we'll all be with the Lord forever. That was all written to put the Thessalonians Christians' mind at rest. Verse 18, to encourage them. But look, often when I read this uh, with Christians, it doesn't encourage them today because our issue is not the issue that the Thessalonians were grappling with. So often, this passage leaves Christians a bit unsettled. Here's why. Generally today, we have a clear understanding that when Christians die, they go to be with the Lord. 
But a quick reading of this passage seems to suggest that the Christian dead are not actually with the Lord, they're just asleep until he returns. Some of you will know that when my, life, uh, that my wife Caroline is from uh, New Zealand. When her dad died, she travelled there for the funeral. Uh, this was 10 years ago. We decided it was best that I stay at home with the children. At the time, our children were seven and four. Anyway, on the day of the funeral, I sat with the children and we prayed for Caroline and the children asked me about what would happen at the funeral. They'd never been to one. And I went through the details of the service and towards the end of my explanation, I said, and then after the service, they'll go to the cemetery and they'll put grandpa in the ground. And at that point, Joshua, four-year-old Joshua, leapt off the sofa where we were all sitting and he turned around and he said, what do you mean they'll put grandpa in the ground? I thought grandpa was in heaven. See, which is it? Is he in heaven or is he in the ground? And of course the answer is both. And helpfully this passage tells us that it is both, although when you first read it, it doesn't look like that. Look back with me at verse 14. Talking about Jesus' second coming, we read, we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep with him. See those words? As Jesus returns down through the clouds in all his glory, he will bring with him those who've died as Christians, meaning they are already with him. So at death we do go to be with the Lord, with Jesus, but our bodies are laid in the ground. It is both. But when Jesus returns, because we believe in a bodily resurrection, then, verse 16... The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That is the dead bodies of those in Christ. When Jesus returns, those who are already with the Lord now will receive their resurrection body. And after that, verse 17, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And all that, not so that we can debate the details of the resurrection and the return of Christ, but so that we can be encouraged. Verse 18. Now I have to say I do find this wonderfully encouraging. Especially on this Mothering Sunday. As I miss my mum very much, nearly seven years since she died, uh, uh, the pain doesn't go away. I mean, it's not as bad as it was, but it doesn't go away. And I find this wonderfully reassuring. My mum was a Christian and when she died on the 17th of July 2011, when she closed her eyes in death, she went to be with the Lord. I don't know exactly what that means, but the book of Revelation tells me that now, before Jesus has returned, Christians are around the throne worshipping God, knowing that my mum is one of them, in the presence of Jesus is a terrific comfort. She's praising God. She's more alive than she's ever been. And this passage explains not only that truth, but my experience. See, as I sat with my mum after she had died, there was her body, lifeless. And then after her funeral, we buried her cremated remains in our hometown of Letchworth. And so the Bible does tell me that my mum is with the Lord now. And this passage tells me that my mum will be one of those who, verse 14, God will bring with Jesus when he returns because my mum is with him now around the throne. 
And then verse 16, as the trumpet announcing Jesus' return is sounded, my mum's body will rise from that little plot in my hometown of Letchworth and my mum will be given her resurrection body. Let's not get bogged down in all the details. I don't know how it works. That's not the point of the passage. But it's wonderfully reassuring. And if Jesus returns before I die, then at that point, verse 17, I too will be caught up in the air and given my resurrection body too, which will be a fantastic thing because my body seems to be uh, giving out on me right, right, left and centre at the moment. And then after that, all, all Christians spend all eternity in heaven, in the heavenly new creation. What a comfort. What an encouragement. What a hope. Death is always hard, it's very hard, but without knowing this and being sure of this, you're left at such a difficult time anyway with not having that deep comfort and assurance that the Christian gospel can bring you. So Christian, be encouraged. We can know these things for sure. We don't need to be ignorant. These things have a solid basis, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as I close, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, let me gently ask you, why not? Why on earth not would you be a Christian? Why would you not want to know the answer to the problem of death that frankly hangs over us all our lives? I know we try to put it aside, but it's there. A problem that honestly ruins life because it's going to come one day. A problem that certainly ruins a day like today, a day which could be a celebration of thanksgiving for mums, but is too painful for many to bear. And that incidentally is why we try not to make too much of it, because we don't want those who are struggling and not to be able to come here on that day. Now let me ask you then, why are you not enjoying the comfort and resurrection hope that Jesus offers if you're not a Christian? And if the answer is because you can't believe it, then let me encourage you to get hold of a copy of this little book, The Case for Easter. See that there is a good, solid evidence for Jesus' resurrection. I've put some copies of these uh, over in the church centre, go through the double doors, then through the second double doors, and on your left you'll see a pile of them. I think they're a pound each. If you can't afford the pound but you want to know the answer, just pick them up. And if somebody says you didn't put a pound down, Say, the vicar told me I could pick it up and I'll pay the pound. It's that important. Here's the logic. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, if Jesus has defeated death, then he can give you resurrection life too. And I can't think of anything more important to know. Let's pray. Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're not just clutching at straws, desperate for an answer to a problem that there are no answers to when we think of death. We thank you that we have solid, good reasons for believing that there is resurrection life beyond the grave. And it is through your son, the Lord Jesus, and his resurrection. And we thank you that there is indeed an answer. We pray for those who today mourn deeply. Some mourning mums, some mourning children. Others just mourning people that they've uh, not uh, seen for a while 
because of death. And we ask, please, that in the light of mourning and in the struggle of mourning, you would bring this great comfort and assurance of resurrection life. In Jesus' name, amen.